Hello and welcome everybody to today's episode of Reels in the Round. Today we watched Brick. Brick is a 2005 neo-noir starring... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, oh, yeah. everyone. One of the greatest actors of our time. You might know him from such shows as Third Rock from the Sun. Or other great things like, uh, not Rookie of the Year, that wasn't him. Angels in the Outfield. Continue. This movie, Brick, was directed by Ryan Johnson. And it takes place in a modern high school and has crime, sex, and everything that other neo-noirs have. Well stated. Thank you, Kirk. So let's let's kick it off here. Did you like it? I did like it. There's some interesting parts that like I don't really see in other movies. Like what? Like the like well, most of the time when I'm doing like videos and things like that, I normally like to have subjects in the frame. This movie had a ton of frames where like there's just like maybe like a car just sitting there or like just empty streets with like nothing happening for like two to four seconds. Yep. I just so, found that very interesting. I wouldn't say that's a hallmark of noir per se, mm -hmm. but um, atypical framing, not incorrect framing, because there is there is incorrect framing in the world, uh, but but film noir tends to, to lean towards uh, atypical framing, atypical lighting, and atypical shot patterns, because they're trying to make you feel unsettled. And not, it, there's a difference between a film noir and like a horror movie or a thriller. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to make you feel scared. They're trying to make you feel intrigued. Yeah. And, and so, yes, there's, there were lots of things like the shot of the cigarette butt with the arrow on it that makes you feel like, what's it pointing at? Nothing. It's a cigarette butt. Well, it but should like, have some meaning to it. Right. And it did, but the, it didn't, it didn't, not the meaning you thought it did. Yeah. And, and film noir has a lot of that. How about you, Tyler? What'd you think? Um, I, I definitely really liked it too. I really liked like how it like paid a lot of uh, attention to detail, like a lot of film noirs do. Um, first thing that I pointed out when we when the movie started, I look, I said something to Ronan like, "There's a lot of blue." It is a uh, very yeah. blue toned film. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I'd never really thought about that. It is a very cool. And I cool. and I th and like that immediately caught my interest because I've like I've never really seen a movie like that before. Yeah. And then I had my interest out the whole way through, and I every little every little detail that they were putting in. Like into the movie, like the, um, like the cigarette with the arrow on it. Like I just looked at, I, I saw that frame and I thought, I mean that's gotta have some sort of purpose. That why it's like such a close up shot of it on the road, right? Mm -hmm. And then, sure enough, it was. Yeah. So. No, that the movie, again, it's it's a hallmark of noir, so it's not even like a oh so original. But the way that this one in particular unfolded all the details and and just continued to lay out new layers. I saw it to you with you guys today for the, I don't know, 347,000th time, and it is still <laughs> little details that I'm missing, or I was like, I hadn't noticed before. Mm -hmm. And one in particular that I have not watched it since someone had pointed this out to me, and I watched it this time thinking about it, and we'll get to it. It's an interesting note that we'll get to in a second. Uh, but favorite parts, like, or, or just overall, starting from the beginning, kind of working through, what, what stood out to you? Uh, so another part that stood out is like what Tyler was saying with like the attention to detail when Brendan didn't have his glasses on like for like his point of view it was blurry all the shots yeah. were blurry yep. he'd take his when, glasses off and the POVs get blurry yep. it's so freaking and, cool and then he yeah. puts them back on and it's just clear as day yeah really love that yeah I really like that attention, attention to detail too um my, I thought the part really was really funny when, um, like when he was uh, meeting up with T 
Tugger in the parking lot. Yeah. And he took off the glasses right before he walked up to <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. He's like, Tugger's walking through. He's like, well, these need to come yeah. off. <laughs> they already knew. You're like, you're like this, I know what's about to happen. These... Yeah. Um, talk to me about the writing. The reason I wanted uh, you guys to yeah, watch I, this, I was about to bring that up too. I that was probably my favorite part of this whole movie. Like when you when you pointed it out, I started to pay attention to it. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so this the this movie has such good writing. It's not even funny. The it's it's a very lyrical. The way that it's or phrased, poetry, it, yeah. it, it, it it almost lots of it sounds yeah. like poetry. It's like yep. beat poetry. It doesn't rhyme per mm-hmm. se, but it has kind of a cadence to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the way it says things. Is just it's it's not that it's hard to understand, but it's like you know. It makes you, know, you think. The gorilla yeah. walks, or I clam. Then clam. There's nothing I can't beat out of you in the basement. Like just it, ah, like the the words it uses like are very 1930s. A lot of metaphors. Yeah. Lots of metaphors. Oh yeah, yeah. When this first came out, one of my favorite classic noirs uh, that a friend of mine was telling me that I need to make you guys watch, but it's not on my list quite yet. Uh, it's a Humphrey Bogart classic called The Maltese Falcon. It is my absolute favorite in many ways, other than Casablanca, that I don't like, but that's another conversation. <laughs> other than Casablanca, the Maltese Falcon, in many ways, is the quintessential f- film noir. Like, mm-hmm. it is what everyone is mocking when, when they're talking film noir. The Maltese Falcon, Humphrey Bogart, it's amazing. When this first came out, and people were like, oh, what's Brick about? I was like, eh, it's like the Maltese Falcon. If the Maltese Falcon was a brick of drugs and it was set in a modern day high school. And they're like, <laughs> okay. Because that movie, it's all about them trying to get this this statue from Malta of a falcon. It's, I see. And it's, the main character is Sam Spade, and he's roughing up people and looking for this this Maltese falcon. It's this exact same plot line, except it's not <laughs> in a modern day high school, it's in the streets of San Francisco or New York in, in the 30s. Uh, the wording, the, fr- the framing, uh, is, is all very, very similar. This film is very homage of of the Maltese falcon. Um... Favorite lines, things you remember that p- jumped out at you. If we shake the tree, let's see what falls on our heads. Let's just shake the oh, tree, yeah. let's see what falls on our heads. Yeah, Absolutely. I really liked that line. And then when he was talking about the ace, got to get... have to do slightly better. I know the whole I movie, know. but I don't know which one you're talking about. Oh, when he, when like, when he brought her out into like the whole room... And then she was like, why did you do that? And he said, to show your ace. Yeah. Or something like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. In the movie, who is on Brendan's side? Does he have anyone who's on his team? I would say the nerd that was on that was always in the library. Yes, yeah. the nerd in the library. What was his name? It was Brian, wasn't it? Close. It was Brain. It was Brain. Ah. So this is what was pointed out to me about uh, 60 months a year ago, and I haven't watched the movie since. Uh-huh. We literally never see him talk to Brain in front of anyone else. His yeah. name is Brain, and uh, his name is Brain. They reference that Brendan sits back and hates everyone multiple times throughout the movie. The only person on his team is named Brain, and so much so that the last interchange in the film is with him and Brain, who walks out of his ear, perspectively, yeah. stands behind him, and then walks, they talk, walks back then walks back behind his head, and then isn't in the field. So the question is, is Brain a nerd that he knows that hangs out in the library, or is Brain literally the, the presentation of his brain? I was almost thinking that, it too. I've watched this movie hundreds of times, it had never occurred to me. Brain was just like a cute, nerdy nickname yeah, for this I, dude, right? I never put that together, yeah. But 
Again, and I don't know. I would never ask Ryan Johnson. It might have just, it might not be anything. <laughs> but the fact of that is he's like, like, I can't talk to you in public. That could literally be as simple as, I can't be seen thinking. I've got mm-hmm. to, I've got to lay low. I've got to look like a thug. I've got to look like, I can't, you know, he, he keeps saying like, we can't be seen in public together. I can't be seen thinking. I can't be appear, I can't appear to have a plan here. I've got to just keep doing this like I'm an idiot. And he was never seen anywhere else either. Yeah, he's, yeah well, no, the, he was seen behind the cafeteria once. But yes, he's usually in the library. And that that one time, he's like, "Oh my gosh, we should I shouldn't have met you in public." And they were out behind the cafeteria. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, but yeah, they're always quiet. There's there's a, uh, and it's it's his scenes that are always. Him working something out, like here are the mm-hmm. words I don't know. Help me out. Like, brain is literally always just an exposition force of letting him talk out. It's literally his thinking device. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting thing of whether or not it's a metaphor. Sorry, whether or not he's literally there. Brain is clearly a metaphor for Brandon's brain. Yeah. Whether or yeah. not he's a character or not. Yeah. Um. Uh trying to think of other uh, other fun questions of uh, one of my favorite scenes in cinema history is the one that I pointed out to you guys where he's with the assistant vice principal he's like I fed him to you to see him eat not to see you fed he's like that was well said like and that when he's mm-hmm. talking that whole scene is just masterfully written mm-hmm. uh, other things that stood out to you you're, you're, fil- you're new to film noir this is your third film noir in a row between mm-hmm. kiss kiss bang bang lucky number 11 and this Noticing anything about the genre? Foreground. Interesting. What Was there a lot of foreground in this one? Not a lot, but I really liked when it was used, especially the scene in the library. Interesting. Talk to me through that scene. Uh, so basically, he just walks towards Brain, Brain. In, the, in the aisle, and you can see like books in the foreground while he's passing through the aisle, which makes sense. Right. And then while they're talking, they still have books in front of them, which I feel like they could have done without, but I like the fact that they kept them, that they kept the books in the foreground. Yep. It does. One of the other things that they did a lot in this particular movie um, that they didn't do in Lucky Number Eleven, nor mm-hmm. nor in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang particularly, but it's uh, so all three have a lot of foreground movement. This one had a lot of very voyeuristic long lenses. Like think about the shot where he's about to crush the Mach One with the with the. Uh, they, yeah. And it cuts. Yeah. And Tug, Tug's not running. Tug is walking, but you watch him walk for like 15 seconds. <laughs> yes. It's this like <laughs> unbelievable. Or later when you see uh, Emily Kostich with uh, with Dode, and it's from the top of the hill, and it's this long shot, and you don't hear anything because mm-hmm. it's far away, but you watch. There's a lot of voyeuristically long, deep, far off shots where the entire film, they really want you to feel, Ryan Johnson really wanted you to feel disconnected like Brandon feels. So lots of stuff is from a distance. Lots of stuff. Even when him and the pin are sitting on the beach, they were mm-hmm. not sitting together. They were yeah. sitting, yeah. For, which is an odd position for two guys to be sitting on the beach. The pin sat down first and Brandon sat 15 feet like behind him. Yeah. yeah. Brandon's physically located apart from all the other major characters and the lenses do a good job of always adding distance or separation either in foreground mm-hmm. or in in distance and it does a really good job of making you feel like Brandon very much outside the story mm-hmm. how about you Tyler other things that popped out for you um crap I thought I was literally thinking of something but now I've forgotten <laughs> okay um 
was it? I'm sure I'll remember when um, when you guys are talking, probably. No, and, and interrupt <laughs> if you do. Interrupt if you do. Um, I'll just go ahead and just say sound design. Oh my gosh, yeah. Talk Especially to me about that. With the, um, with the footsteps, I've, uh, who is it? Who's the one that was chasing Brendan? Uh, we don't ever know his name. He, he wakes up at the end. He's the guy that... Or uh, Dodd. When Dodd was chasing Brendan through the high school. That wasn't Dodd. Oh, it wasn't Dodd? No. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, um, he never changed clothes the whole time. The entire movie. <laughs> he, wore the same yeah. clothes, he wore the same clothes the whole t- entire time. And the movie didn't take place in one day. The movie was over the course of oh, several yeah. days. It was about a, like a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, he wears that same jacket. And I love the jacket gets grosser and cut up and duct tape. Yeah, he yeah. pointed out like towards the end of the movie he had like a duct tape patch from like when he was from when he gets slashed. Slice and dice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that guy was, they, they say at the end that he woke up. The guy that was running and hit his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a hitman sent by uh, sent by Brad Bramish. Oh, uh, yeah. But, and they say that at the very, very end. But that whole scene, it's so incredible it's just it's it it's a chase scene like every film noir like every action mm-hmm. thriller kind of has but it's on foot through a high school and it's almost entirely through sound of of, of, of heavy boots steps. versus like loafers yeah or oxfords yeah <laughs> that that scene is just hysterical and fun to watch um i agree the clothing is a, is an interesting thing. Let's talk about the femme fatale. The femme fatale is a absolute hallmark of the noir. There's always a woman that is gorgeous and sexy, and you want to love her, but you can't trust her. And in this one, <laughs> Why are you pointing at me? You think that he's a gorgeous woman? No. You can't trust? <laughs> no. Yeah! This show just took an odd turn. Um, Laura in this is, yeah. is, is that character. Talk to me about, uh, about her casting, her writing, her speaking, like all of it. I'm just saying, like exactly what you're saying. We both noticed that at, at towards the end when they're, I said, they're it. like, yeah, yeah they kind of have, <laughs> they kind of have one of the, one of these women like casted into film noirs, like pretty much every always. single movie. Yeah, no, always. Yeah. There's, there's always this character that is beautiful and awesome and wonderful that you don't know if you can trust. And so, like in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it's the Michelle Monaghan character, but she's not in any way villainous. Like she's not bad. But yeah. you don't know if, like, you're not always entirely sure where she fits into the puzzle. Yeah. Same thing with the Shannon Sossamon character, which you find out later is her sister. You you don't quite know, you don't think you don't trust her, but you don't know if you can trust her. You don't know mm-hmm. where they fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucky number 11, same thing. You have the um, you have the Lucy Liu character. Lucy Liu? Now, she's not truly a femme fatale like because she's just her. such a goofball the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Like, you never don't think you can trust her, but again, you don't quite know where she fits into the narrative. Yeah. Um, But in this one, the Laura character is... In this one, the Laura (laughs) character is is just quintessential film noir femme fatale, where even up to the very end, where you find out that she's truly the villain. Like, Mm -hmm. Tugger pulled the trigger, Pin set up all the pieces... But she's the one who absolutely orchestrated to put Emily in front of the gun. And and even at the very end, she reveals the big reveal that uh, of the baby. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, throughout the movie, I didn't know that she was going to be the bad... Well, not, I, don't know, I don't even know why I'm putting it in quotes. She was she the was bad, the bad guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that she was the bad guy. I thought she was going to be on Brendan's side. Right. And that's why she was helping him. 
but she was helping him so then to keep him under control. Well, yeah, I, I was gonna he... say to remove suspects, right? To remove sus, yeah. I think he picked a good order for us to show us these movies because because by this movie you expect you would expect us to be like, oh, well, she's gonna be someone that we can trust. No, no, not at no. all. <laughs> it's it is it is a very much a uh, yeah. There's there's. There's lots of nuance to film noir. There, there's very much a genre to it. You can expect certain things, mm-hmm. but just like I made the joke with the magic trick a few weeks ago, oh, they, yeah. <laughs> they'll tell you what they're gonna do and then do it, and you still won't see it coming. And you're like, but I should have, but I should have seen it coming because you told me. Um, well, they I execute it in a different way. One of the very first things is is she comes up and says like, you know, I want to help. I want to be there for you. He's like, I can't trust you mm-hmm. either. It like he's like. Either you're doing this stuff uh, to be seen, which means I can't help you. Your connections might help me, but they don't. They cost too much. He's like, I'll have to tie up one eye watching your hands, and I can't spare it. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, she has been instri- interestingly instrumental throughout it, but always, again, separated. Never. A, a, a few times you're like, no, she's definitely on his side, and yeah. then not. Uh, you guys have seen Indiana Jones 3. Mm-hmm. Of course. So it's not a film noir, but it has some of the same air- earmarks because it's the same era as most film noirs. Mm-hmm. So the Fraulein would be an example of another of the femme fatale where she was on his side, then betrayed, and find out that she's actually instrumental in the plot against. That's a very another example of that that is, is super archetypal. Um, so, what are we... Uh, This ends film noir basically. The next week, next week, we're kind of moving on to a. You could argue it's a film noir, but I'm not going to call it one. Okay. All right. Uh, next week, we're watching the Mothman prophecies. Ever heard okay. of it? Nope. No. Good. <laughs> next week, we're watching the Mothman prophecies. So, in the world of this film, the show started off being terrible movies, mm-hmm. the, much like Brick, uh, which is not a terrible movie, or Kiss Kiss nope. Bang Bang, not a terrible movie, or Lucky Numbers Eleven, not a terrible movie. Uh, Mothman prophecies, like those, is remarkably underrated. Okay. It is uh, to the people that have been following along and want to watch it. I would super recommend pre-watching this one before we post next week. And the only thing that I will say. It's a little bit of a thriller, but it's not a horror. It's only PG-13. It's not a scary movie, although it's a very unsettlingly... Noir is more about solving a mystery. Mm-hmm. Mothman Prophecies is a little bit more of a ghost story, as it does involve the supernatural, which most film noirs don't. They just involve, yeah. like, betrayal. Mm-hmm. But as far as shot patterns, as far as shot style, as far as intrigue, um, it's very noir-tastic. There's no femme fatale. There's no betrayal. It's a little bit more of a, a suspense thriller. But the, the style and the framing is very similar, so it'll feel very comfortable and similar as, as we're delving into this. Mm-hmm. But the thing that we're going to talk about a lot next week, and I'm telling everyone now so that they can watch it, uh, is it is the one of the only movies I've ever seen. We talked a little bit about this with Lucky Number Slevin, but this is one of the only movies I've ever seen where the camera is absolutely definitively oh, a, character? a character. The shots, okay. there are shots in this film next week, Mothman Prophecies, where they are objectively bad shots if you're thinking of it from a filmmaking standpoint. You're like, why on earth would you frame it like that? The character is tiny in the bottom of the screen. You're like, because <laughs> you're looking at the wrong thing. You're thinking the shot should be of Richard Gere, the mm-hmm. star. But the camera's not looking at Richard Gere. You are. The camera is telling you you shouldn't be looking at Richard Gere, yet you're insisting on trying. 
the camera throughout the whole thing, there are shots that are objectively wrong mm -hmm. until you watch it for your third or fourth time and you realize that the camera is trying to tell you a story that is different than the story that is happening to the characters. And it is a really interesting fight between the story of the writer and the story of the, the cameraman. Camera. Because they are... Because the, the Mothman mm -hmm. is the camera. So if you're, as you're watching the movie, it's a, it's a very twisted film. Uh, I love it. It's great. We're going to have a lot of time fun with that. But as we're kind of transitioning out of the true noir and neo-noir, you guys had never seen these before. Not just these movies, this genre. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I, mean, I definitely see more movies in this genre. Did you end up oh, watching yeah. Lucky Number 11? I know you didn't watch it with us, but... I didn't watch it, no. You should. I mean, like I said, you can watch it here anytime you'd like. But, yeah, yeah. it's... So, walk me through just your understandings of the genre. Um, a lot of intellectual writing goes into this movie. A lot... <laughs> the writers think through a lot of the dialogue for these movies. Um, that's definitely the number one thing that stands out to me with this genre. Um... It's all just character driven and um, dialogue driven as as well. It's not there's very very little action if it has it, but if that's if it has it, and sure they they usually don't. So no, absolutely. How about you, Ryan? Uh, my favorite things about this genre, I'm pretty sure I've said this multiple times, but it's like the twist ending. Yeah, we don't see it. Like in this movie, I really thought she was going to be the good guy. Yeah, but not the good. The, you get it. On bread and side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, she most definitely was not. Like, in other movies, like Lucky Number 11, the main character... Ended up being the bad guy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, oh, shit. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just really like that. Yep. It really makes you think about and the even whole in, film. Even in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, at the end, you find out that the, the, the people you thought were bad weren't, and the people you thought were good mm -hmm. were like... That is very much a hallmark, which is why, like I said, with next week with the Mothman Prophecies, as you watch it, it's still very noir feeling. It's not an action film. It's very dark. It's very... There's a lot of things you're like, oh, Mothman Prophecies, totally feel noir. Mm -hmm. Except that it, 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 it misses that betrayal intrigue, which matters. That That's kind of a hallmark of the genre. Yeah. Um, no, noir, since I discovered it, it has been one of my absolute... Because it's like, you actually nailed it. It's that you can't watch a film noir passively. Yeah, the you shots have to pay matter. The words matter. The colors, if they're not in black and white, matter. <laughs> the th there's all these little clues and tips. And a good noir versus a bad noir is how accidental versus how intentional they are. Because, like you mentioned, the cigarette butt and the shots and the oh yeah. As you watch it more and more times, you realize that very, very little, if any of it, was an accident. It was all just masterfully crafted, and it can peel back brain is he the brain is he a character it doesn't matter because he is the metaphor for the brain either way mm -hmm. and his name is brain yeah, so yeah. like it, it 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 all plays out um another thing that i like about this genre um i'm not usually a person that can watch things multiple times because the more that i watch something or listen to something the less that i like it sure so i try yeah. to like listen or watch something like the least i can to like appreciate it the most i can right but with this movie genre, I could watch a movie a lot more times than I than I usually would with uh, a different movie, and I would still enjoy it because I'd see new things that I never saw the first time. And that is, if anything, I'd say you actually nailed it. That's almost the hallmark of it. It's that a film noir you can enjoy the first time, but you won't get it. Like you, you won't, you yeah. won't get it. You know, oh, there's a movie that I almost should watch instead next week. 
No, I've committed to Mothman prophecies. But uh, <laughs> another really classic film noir, neo-noir, is The Usual Suspects. Have either of you seen it? I don't think so, no. Oh, man, we might have to watch that, too. <laughs> um, and, and L.A. Confidential, both of them are classic neo-noirs. Um, okay, no, I, I love this genre because of what you just said. It's mm -hmm. that a single viewing, you can enjoy it, but the real meat and potatoes comes from watching it multiple times and letting those clues that you missed the first time boil at the top which is why one of the things that I hate about twist endings like we talked about not catch me if you can but uh, now you see me oh yeah it's such a terrible movie because of how good the movie was and then it gets to the end to the twist ending and nothing in the movie nothing in the movie supported it at all yeah nothing in the movie supported it which means it was a tacked on twist yeah whereas with this movie you go back and you watch it and you can watch it one times ten times a hundred times and every weird twist played into it somewhere and even the the bad girl being the bad all of it it is supported somewhere before you just missed it the first time because like a magician you were looking where you were supposed to be and it's only on multiple viewings you get to see the stuff you've missed mm -hmm. movies with twist endings that are unsupported are lazy filmmaking and film noir is is often hallmarked by the fact that they have done unbelievable details uh, throughout it this was Ryan Johnson's first film it is still, in my opinion, his best film, and that's uh, very much pretending like he isn't responsible for Star Wars Episode Eight, um, <laughs> because that was a, that was sad, uh, so so sad. Ryan, why? It only goes downhill from there. No, I mean so his Breaking Bad episodes are by far the, some of the best Breaking Bad episodes, and, and I mean that. But uh, his films, Looper, also kind of a, a futuristic film noir. Uh, the Brothers Bloom, pretty rad. Like, he's done some good stuff. Uh, just Star Wars isn't one of them. Yeah. Um, I, don't think, I don't think that's necessarily his fault, probably. No, I blame Kathleen Kennedy for that more than anything else. But, anyway. So, I mean, we can talk about this as long as you want, Ron. What else is there, would you like to, uh, to cover? Uh, well, I guess another thing I will say is, I don't know if you'll agree with me, uh -huh. and... I don't know if Tyler has seen the movie I'm, gonna, I'm about to reference. Sure. I know you most definitely have. But while I was watching this movie, I was thinking a lot about uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Interesting. And Interesting. Like, you I know, have not seen this movie. <laughs> like oh I thought. Oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> Another underrated movie, I think. So good. Yeah. But in that movie, he fights the exes of the girl yeah. that he wants. At first, like, my first way of thinking when it comes to Brick, is, like, instead of, like, fighting the exes to get the ex that he had back, it was, like, to fight the people in the way. So so that's kind of how I was connecting it okay. to Okay, no, I mean, it's an interesting... I'm not going to say that I don't see the parallel. Scott Pilgrim mm -hmm. has an interesting kind of 8-bit noir vibe. Yeah. Uh, it's not a film noir, but it has kind of, like, an 8-bit sort of uh, dark, uh, moody... Uh, aesthetic that I can mm -hmm. get that the the working through the se the the eight evil X's to get to the end and this was working through the the round like the layers of hell yeah that makes sense I can I can see what you're you're talking about there Scott Pilgrim is another absolutely classic <laughs> that yep. I love so much uh, no I, that's a good uh, that's a good association. Again, I don't necessarily agree, but I, I can see. Yeah. I can see what the, the it's, parallels. It's you're seemed drawing. like he had, or yeah, he had. Uh, Brendan had to go from like one person to the next to the next to the next. Yeah. It just reminded me of 
how Scott Pilgrim had to go from one X to the next to the next to two of them to the next to the next to the next. Right. No, and I, I love the whole, like, the order, the the way that the cards were played in this movie was, was fantastic. Like, the whole, he goes to the, the woman backstage and he's like, mm-hmm. he's like, Tell the uh, tell the pin that Brad uh, that Brad was my calling card. And at that point, you have no idea. And the next scene, he beats up Brad. Yeah. And you're just like, so it was very clearly premeditated. Well, and I mean, in any other movie, it would have gone the other way around. He'd have gone and beaten up people. Like, why is he beating him up? And then the next scene, he's like, tell tell the pin that was my calling card. And you're like, oh, I see. Like, it would have it would have played the cards in somewhat order, and the reveal would have been like the fight would have been shocking. And it would have still worked in that order. Mm-hmm. The reason this was so interesting is that he referenced something that hadn't been done yet. Tell Brad, tell the pin that Brad was my calling card. Oh, and then yeah. he beats him up. In that order. Now, you could almost say that like, oh, well, it was actually written the other way and they did that in editing. I don't think that's true. No. But I'm saying that that type of inverse writing, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting way to do it. Uh, there's so much of that in this film that, uh, again, yeah. Rick, that is just, just yeah. Let's shake the tree and see what falls on our heads. Uh, yeah, I just I I could literally get the the quips and one-liners from this film tattooed on my body <laughs> and never regret it. It's just this movie is amazing, one of the best written things I've seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of movies. Oh yeah, yeah. What else? Another thing I found interesting, like, when it went to, like, the, f- the fight scenes. Sure. Like, when Chucker, like, brought his must- Mustang Mark One or was going to his Mustang Mark One, and, like, the camera just, like, zoomed out, like, right when the fighting was about to initialize. Yeah. I found that very interesting. Me too. Because I would have thought they would have zoomed in or kept it the same framing instead. It was like the anti-Jason Bourne film. Yeah. <laughs> instead of going in and getting all kinetic, it goes like super wide. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I absolutely loved about the fighting in particular is that Brandon doesn't fight well at all. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not like, it's, it's like when he takes on Brad Bramish, who's the high school football, you know, mm-hmm. he hits him, but like, and then like grabs him around the waist. Like he fights like real fights, which are to say like, it wasn't structured. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't MMA. It wasn't like, it wasn't choreographed. It was literally like, in he's on the ground kicking the dude in the shins, which you're like, come on, that's a punk move. Yes, it is a punk move. And Brandon knows that. Mm-hmm. He also doesn't care particularly. Like, <laughs> it is the way that they have Brandon be absolutely fearless but that doesn't mean he's a badass. He's just fearless. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, and Penn even says it. He's like, okay, you're not afraid of me. I get that. Like, he's like, you have established that you're not afraid of me. I'm I'm glad. Uh, which is a similar thing to the main character in uh, with Slevin Calevra. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, why aren't you afraid? He's like, the the two characters, actually all three of them, the Robert Downey Jr. character, Harry, uh, Harry Slevin Calevra, and Brandon, all three of them are kind of hallmarked by this kind of asshole apathy like they they're all very fearless like walk away man and then gets his butt kicked or like, <laughs> yeah. all three of them get broken noses throughout the film yep and that's not a film noir thing this is just an interesting <laughs> like, all three of them get, get, yeah just strange correlation all three of them get their noses broken all of them do so very unflappingly like mm-hmm. they don't like they just they get their noses broken they are very flippant and who cares about it. Brandon takes it the worst as he gets sicker and sicker throughout the film as he keeps getting yeah. his ass kicked over 
and over. Mm-hmm. Slevin Kalevra like starts to clean up through it, but still has the broken nose and the black yeah. eyes the entire as does Harry in, in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. All of them have and they do that because it's a visual representation through of their kind of fearlessness. They've been put mm-hmm. in their place and are and they keep going. They've crossed, they've been given a warning, they've been given you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. gets his thumb bitten off mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and continues to... All three of these main characters are fearless, but don't confuse fearless with badass. They're not. They're yeah. just... They're just dudes that don't let the fear get in the way. And that's a... It's an interesting uh, hallmark of uh, a thread that connects the three main characters. That is true, yeah. Also being awkwardly normal-looking pasty white dudes. Like... <laughs> Like, they're very, like, Robert Downey Jr., Josh Hartnett, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they also have a very common thread of being just, they're not... Kind of like your average Joes, or... Right, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know lots of people that say that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's gorgeous and Josh Hartnett, but all three of them are not unattractive, but they're not hunky, they're not Brad Pitt, they're not, (laughs) like, chiseled physique. All three of these individuals are just like, meh, like, they're just, they're just... They're just guys. Um, you know what we should almost do for fun? Like, not necessarily for the show, but Looper is another Ryan Johnson film. It's also a film noir, but it's a future, it's a sci-fi film noir. Mm-hmm. And it stars uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and uh, Bruce Willis, which is would be funny because it ties back two of the ones we've yeah. uh, previously watched. But, sure. um, but yeah, it's it's... You have these three guys, all of them very just aw shucks normal dudes, <laughs> yep. not particularly attractive or good looking, or you know, again, Robert Downey Jr. not an ugly individual. <laughs> Josh Hartnett certainly is a, has been a heart, but none of them are Brad Pitt. None of them are these chiseled, gorgeous men. They're all just doughy white dudes, <laughs> like, and I think they do a really good job of that with these films. So, any uh, any closing words? Uh-huh. You got anything you want to add before? Not really, no. Okay. Cool. So next week, The Mothman Prophecies. Watch it. Uh, this is one of those, another time, if you guys haven't ever done it, but whatever. This is one of those times that if you watched it before coming back next week and watching it again, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't be disappointed. There are so many things that you will 100% miss. Period. I'm not saying you won't enjoy the movie when you watch it one time, mm-hmm. but like you could watch it. Uh, back when I was teaching, I used to show this to movies to people that had seen it a dozen times, and they still missed the things I pointed out. This movie is full of, like I said, the writer and the cameraman are having a fight, and not really yeah. like it's all part of the story, but like the words being said and the experiences of the main character are at complete odds of the camera, which is telling a remarkably different story. And once you realize that, the story gets a lot bigger, mm-hmm. and that the complexity of that is why the movie didn't do very well. They're like, yeah, odd shots. And it was like, I was trying to see things, but you were trying to see what you wanted to see, mm-hmm. not what the camera was trying to show you. But we're so used to see dog, say dog. We're so used to the camera showing us what we expect to see that looking at what the camera is showing us, as opposed to what we thought it was supposed to be showing us, isn't something we are uh, trained used to do. To. Yeah. And next week you're going to be. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm I'm having fun with these next yeah, week. Mothman prophecies, okay. and yeah. uh, oh, such a good movie, so good, so good. Do the outro, Tyler. Um, sure. Um, if you like this uh, podcast episode, go ahead and uh, give us a like and subscribe if you're on YouTube or follow us on Spotify if you're listening there. Uh, I've been Tyler. I've been Ronan. 
I am Kirk. What's this past tense? Is that what they're teaching children these days? Children. No, that wasn't. No, that's, no, that's just how I'm doing the outro. Okay, um, I, I've okay. been Kirk. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. <laughs>